you know, your talents can take you places if you really focus on them. Hey everyone, I'm Bianca Schultz from the Children's Book Review, and this is the Growing Readers Podcast. In today's episode, I talk with multi-award-winning illustrator and author David Litchfield about his artwork in Cress Watercress, a novel written by Gregory Maguire, the author of the incredibly popular books in the Wicked Years series, including Wicked, The Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West, which inspired the musical that you all know. David started to draw when he was very young, creating Star Wars and Indiana Jones mashup comics for his older brother and sister. Since then, his work has appeared in magazines, newspapers, and books, and on t-shirts. His first book, The Bear and the Piano, won the Waterstones Children's Book Prize. He's also the illustrator of Rain Before Rainbows by Smriti Halls and War Is Over by David Almond. And he's the author-illustrator of plenty more, including Lights on Wonder Rock. David lives with his family in Bedford, England. Before I share our really insightful conversation, here's the synopsis for Cress Watercress, which I'll add sums up this book with absolute perfection. A lavishly illustrated woodland tale with a classic sensibility and modern flair from the fertile imagination behind Wicked. Gregory Maguire turns his trademark wit and wisdom to an animal adventure about growing up, moving on, and finding community. When Papa doesn't return from a nocturnal honey-gathering expedition, Cress holds out hope, but her mother assumes the worst. It's a dangerous world for rabbits, after all. Mama moves what's left of the Watercrest family to the basement unit of the Broken Arms, a rundown apartment oak with a suspect owl landlord, a nosy mouse super, a rowdy family of squirrels, and a pair of songbirds who broadcast everyone's business. Can a dead tree full of annoying neighbors and no papa ever be home? In the timeless spirit of E.B. White and the Wind in the Willows, yet thoroughly of its time, this read-aloud and read-alone gem for animal lovers of all ages features an unforgettable cast that leaps off the page in glowing illustrations by David Litchfield. This tender meditation on coming of age invites us to flourish wherever we find ourselves. Hello, David. I am a huge fan of your illustration work, and I just want to take a quick moment to welcome you to the Growing Readers podcast. Oh, hello, Bianca. That's very nice of you to say so. Thank you very much. So many of our listeners first got to know your work through your award-winning picture book, The Bear and the Piano, which you wrote and illustrated. And they may have also recognized your creative style and some middle grade book covers like Laurel Snyder's Orphan Island. But now your artwork appears not only on the cover of Gregory Maguire's Cress Watercress, but also on the pages throughout the novel. So I just want to know what it means to you to have 
been given this opportunity to illustrate the work for Cress Watercress? Oh, it, it means the world to me. It's, it was, um, I was hugely, hugely honoured to be asked to, to draw this book. And like, even before I'd read the manuscript, I, I just knew I was going to say yes to it. It was, you know, I was, I'm such an uh, a admirer of Gregory's books and his work and just him as a person. You know, he's a great character. And I just knew I wanted to be involved in this. And luckily when I did read it, I absolutely loved it. And I loved, I, you know, completely fell in love with Crest Water Crest and all the characters. And I wanted to live in that forest. So no, it means it means a lot to be asked. And I, I, I you know, I'll, I'll forever be honored to be part of this book because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's really, it's real magic, this book. Oh, it absolutely is. And I, I don't know if this happens to you when you're reading a book, but I'll often, often latch onto a feeling that I've had while reading another book. So for me, the books that entered my mind while I was reading Crest Watercrest were some true classics like A.A. A. Milne's Winnie the Pooh, Beatrix sure. Potter's The Tale of Peter Rabbit, and Kenneth Graham's Wind in the Willows. And I would go as far to say that I think Gregory Maguire has raised them all one. I mean, this book is outstanding. But wow. does, does that ever happen to you? Like when, when you're reading a book, do you like suddenly have comparisons to other books? And and if you do, did that happen to you the first time you read Crest Watercrest? Oh, it, it totally does happen to me. Even more so when I know I'm going to be drawing the book because I'm, you know, I'm sort of looking for influences whilst I'm reading it and sort of seeing what I can take uh, as a starting point for the artwork. And yeah, it was instantly, it was Wind in the Willows. Um, and, you know, the, the the fantastic artwork, the E.H. E. Shepard artwork was really in, in the forefront of my mind while I was reading it and absolutely while I was making the artwork. So, yeah, it does happen. And I think it's quite good that that happens from a professional point of view because it's always kind of, you know, it's always good to sort of have an influence for your work and then sort of try and build on that influence. But you know what else? I don't know if this is, I don't know if you had this in America. I'm assuming you did, but we had a great show TV show when I was growing up we had the Wind of the Willows stop motion TV show every week which was absolutely beautiful it was made by Cosgrove Hall who were kind of a big deal over here you know one of the one of our biggest animation companies and you know in the 80s and early 90s I remember this being a, a, a massive massive deal this show and that was very much in my mind probably more this this probably might be a bit sacrilegious what I'm about to say now but that kind of imagery from that show was probably more in my head while I was reading the manuscript for Crest Water Quest than, than actual, the uh, the original Wind in the Willows book, because that was my first exposure to Wind in the Willows, that, that TV show. You know, it's uh, funny you say that because I grew up in Australia and oh, I don't okay. I don't know if it's the same thing, but I was going to ask you about it because I first came across Wind in the Willows through the television and not yeah. through reading it, right? And it, you know, yes. it feels woo, terrible to say that, but it's true. <laughs> Well, it's quite a big book, you know, it's a series of books that, you know, are quite daunting to it. But when you're when you're really young, it's quite daunting to sort of read a book like that. Yeah, so the TV absolutely. show was a great, a great kind of step into that world for me. Yeah. And I don't I, I always remembered it as a movie. So I don't know if I saw like a movie version. Uh, I or... mean, there was lots. There was yeah. lots. There was a lot of movies. There was uh, there was a couple of animated cartoons. One was hand drawn or cell animation, at least. And then the other one, the one that I loved was this beautiful stop motion kind of classical uh stop motion kind of style so i have to say that your artwork 
absolutely glows. And the main character, Cress, is grieving the disappearance of her papa. And there's this feeling that she's carrying the world's weight on her shoulders and that the world tends to do the opposite of what is expected and desired. And so even though your artwork glows... I mean, it really glows. It also demonstrates this contrary feeling by alternating between light and dark. And your ability to create lighting is just incredibly transcendent for creating both, I think, time and tone. So will you talk us through your creative process and even how you decided which parts of the novel to illustrate? Well, thank you very much for noticing that. Because, I mean, that was a, uh, you know, that was a conscious decision to sort of have this big contrast between dark and light for a number of reasons. One, you know, that's kind of forest life from what I can gather in that there's, you know, all this amazing colour of beauty and light. And then if you dig a little bit deeper, it's very dark and very scary. And, you know, there's a lot of bad things that happen in the forest and in nature. And I wanted that to come across, but also from the point of view of, you know, almost kind of telling, uh, using that kind of style as a metaphor for how press is feeling in that story where, you know, she's she's very much got this kind of veneer of being strong and kind of, you know, not letting anything get to her. But if you dig a little bit deeper, you'll see that, you know, there's a lot of bad things that she's going through and she's feeling it. And, you know, for, for me, more more so than most, I mean, I, I you know, I always love using light in my books and it's something that I've really kind of tried to push in my book. But for me, this was the one that I really wanted that to be a noticeable contrast between the light and the beauty and then the dark and the scariness and the kind of, you know, the horror of um, what Cress, or not, horror is a too strong a word, but the sadness of what Cress has been going through in this story. But in terms of process, I mean, with, with most of my, well, not most, with all of my book, there's a big chunk of time that I put aside and sometimes my publishers don't like it, but it's um, a big chunk of time that I put aside to sort of experiment and, you know, sort of try out different techniques and different materials and and most of that is spent kind of with real world kind of paint and inks and stuff and just sort of throwing them together and making a mess and stuff but I also take lots of photographs so for this one I took lots of kind of photographs of um of like close-up of bark of a tree or a leaf or or that kind of stuff and then I'll kind of throw it all together scan it all into my computer throw it all together and experiment with all these different layers on Photoshop and I'll sort of blend in and stuff. And it's it's really hard to describe it because it's totally a trial and error thing. And it's just a big kind of experiment where like sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Or sometimes, you know, you'll create this texture where you've mixed all these different textures together and created some, a new texture. You kind of think, oh, that might work as like a, a background for a scene or it might look like a kind of nice sunset for a scene. And yeah, that's where a lot of the light and dark kind of happens because I'll throw kind of light paint, light watercolor paint with dark watercolor paint and see them mixed together and it's great fun it's like it really goes back to sort of being in you know art class at school in the art room and just making a mess and just trying things out but unfortunately I can't just do that so I (laughs) if I could just do that every single day I I would but I can't because I do have a publisher saying could you maybe finish the artwork soon so I've sped that process up a lot more but yeah that's still a big part of my technique of how I create this artwork. Oh, that sounds that sounds incredible. It'd be. Yeah. I, I, do you have any videos out there where like people can see no. you? Kind of. You should do some of that. It'd be I know. so fascinating. A few people have asked. A yeah, few people have asked, and in fact, I've I've had a company get in contact 
I don't know I probably shouldn't name them, but they're they're like a company that does sort of online tutorials. And I think that'll be the time to sort of, you know, share my secret a bit more with the world of how I kind of create this this artwork. Yeah, it'd be fabulous. It'd be so great to see you getting yeah. all like kind of messy and like right in it, yeah. you know? <laughs> also, un- unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but we've we've just moved house. Well, not just moved house. A few months ago, we moved house. And so I'm in my, I mean, I, I actually don't have a proper studio at the minute. Um, I'm in like a, a spare room and I, I, I feel a tiny bit guilty about making so much of a mess in this room because this is eventually going to be one of my son's bedrooms. So we're just converting my garage uh, and it's taken a little bit longer than I thought it would be. But eventually my garage will, garage will be my art studio and then I can throw as much paint around and make as much of a mess as I, as I possibly can. Which Sounds I'm fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Gregory Maguire has created an incredibly witty bunch of characters. And I often found myself smiling just at his cleverness in creating them and the dialogue that he he gives the characters. But is there a character that you like the most or even more so a character piece that you feel most happy about illustrating? Oh, I really love um, Agatha Cabbage. I think the, the, the skunk character. I just had so much fun drawing her and she just seems like she could have only come from the mind of 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 Gregory Maguire she's just got this um beautiful nature about her you kind of think oh you know when you first meet her you're kind of a bit weary of her a bit uh, you're a bit scared of her actually I I would imagine she seems a little bit underhanded and then as you get to know her because she keeps kind of cropping up in the book and kind of returning and as you get to know her you realize that there's a really soft soul underneath you know the characterization she's portraying and um i don't know there was just something very um you know as as a as an englishman there's something very beautifully american about about agatha and i don't know what it is she reminded me actually and again this is going back to my childhood and for all the 80s kids out there but she reminded me a little bit of the first image i had of her in my head when i read the character was of blanche from the golden girls Oh, this yes. Kind of, <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, Southern, charming. And I don't know, that, that's, it's very weird, actually, probably to say that. But that's kind of what I was thinking. I was thinking she's going to be a skunk version of, of Blanche yes. from the Golden Girls. Just she's- some of her turn of phrases and, and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. She kind of like when you first meet her, she's kind of a little bit like a Cruella DeVille from 101 yeah, well, Dalmatians. Yes, right. Yes. But then but then she like totally is a Blanche. I, I see that all the way. <laughs> yeah, that's a good mix, actually. Maybe she's she's Cruella DeVille mixed with Blanche from the Golden Girls. Uh, funny. <laughs> Tell me about Mr. Titus Pillowby Owl. What are your feelings about him? Oh, Mr. Titus is also all. I mean, probably he's probably the most fun one to draw. Again, he's another one. In, in fact, a lot of the characters, and this is probably the, the beauty of this book, is, you know, there's there's so much development with these characters. Like, the initial reaction you have for these characters are like, oh, he, you know, he's terrifying. He's Let's not get on the wrong side of him. And, you know, obviously don't want to spoil anything, but as you read the book, you, you really see these characters grow. And I think Mr. Titus, the owl, is definitely one of those characters that really grows. And, and you grow to love him and you grow to kind of respect him and see 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 the real side of him. But, oh, wow, what a great character to, to draw. With, with him, actually, I was, I was more thinking about kind of, um, you know, some of the great uh, Disney owl characters. Uh, I'm trying to think of one specifically. But you, you know how kind of like this, the, the 70s Disney artists would draw 
these great woodland characters. And I, I, I really had that kind of style of drawing in mind when I was when I was drawing him. You know, this very kind of stern looking kind of authority figure. But deep down, there's a, a kind of a cuddly old <laughs> granddad in there somewhere. So, yeah, I do. I do like I do like uh, Mr. Titus and also obviously his um, his hotel, the, 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 the broken arms. I mean, that was this this giant, beautiful, crooked looking tree. I mean, as an illustrator, and especially an illustrator who likes drawing forests, and I've drawn quite a few forests in my in a lot of my book, drawing this very menacing, unusual-looking tree was just it, I was just so happy drawing it. <laughs> I was just really, really, I really enjoyed drawing those scenes with with that tree and with with the owl in it as well. Both you and Gregory, like the characters and the setting, it's almost like that onion analogy of like peeling off the layers and when you meet someone for the first time or you come to a place for the first time you see them at face value and you see the setting at face value but by the time you get to the end of this book there is so much more to all of it to every every single character there's more depth which is you know i mean what an achievement as an author because it's like this this is a this is a huge cast of characters in this book and to sort of really sort of delve into the inner workings of you know pretty much all of them it's just amazing really um and yeah like I said I just feel really proud to be you know a, a small part of helping to tell that story with with my artwork it's such a great book it really is I 100% agree All right. So you were mentioning before about like your experimentation with uh, dabbling and taking your time to decide on which textures and Mm. how long does it typically take you to nail down a character's look? For example, Lady Cabbage, who I reserve my right to change my mind, but I think Lady Cabbage is my my favorite (laughs) side character. (laughs) But how long does it take you to nail down a character's look? Well, it varies book to book. This particular book, I remember... The first focus I had was actually getting Cress to be as, you know, as perfect as possible. And the first few drawings I did really were not hitting the mark for for anyone. Um, And I was dealing with the art director. At this point, I hadn't spoken to to Gregory at all, like very early on. Um, I'd read the book, I read the book twice, actually, which which is quite an achievement for me. I'm a very slow reader. But I was, you know, I really loved it. And obviously, you know, professionally, I felt I really needed to get into this book or get to know this book as much as possible. So I read it twice in in a, in a couple of weeks. Um, and initially, I wasn't speaking to Gregory. I was speaking to the art director, uh, a lovely lady called Amy Bernica at Candlewick Press, uh, the book publishers. And yeah, I was sending her all these drawings. And I, I, for, I was sort of thinking, OK, this is let's make this very kind of even though I had been thinking about kind of, you know, Wind of the Widow, Wind of the Willows and and uh, Winnie the Pooh and all these kind of great uh, books. I sort of decided to make it quite stylized initially and almost cartoony and, you know, draw the rabbits with these big elongated noses and wide sort of almost manga anime kind of style eyes. And looking back, I'm not sure why I did that. Um, but nonetheless, that was all part of the creative process, I guess, sort of, you know, trying out these different... I, I think I wanted to do this as a slightly different style initially to what I'm used to doing. And I thought pushing it that way might be interesting for me as an illustrator. And then, yeah, talking to Amy, we sort of, you know, realised, oh, actually, I don't know if this is going to be the right direction to take it in. And then I just went completely back the other way. And I started just looking at, you know, I just drew rabbits. I just drew 
kind of very traditional watercolour kind of artwork of, of rabbits. And, you know, I, I, the first sketches were the sort of things that you'd maybe see, you know, paintings framed in, in like your granny's house or something, where it's like, you know, these very kind of classical watercolour paintings. And it was almost like I had to kind of go through that to kind of, to, to really kind of nail what, what I wanted to do and also what was best for the book and stuff. So it's almost like we ended up with this combination, kind of, you know, these classic kind of animal characters that could fit in Winning the Willows, but then also push it a little bit more. So it's, you know, and I think that comes in with some of the colour and, and, and the lighting, where we're pushing it in this slightly different direction from the kind of E.H., uh, shepherd kind of style artwork into something a bit more modern and a bit more unique looking but it took me a while it took me a good couple a good maybe even a couple of months to kind of get the look of um Cress and then the overall look of all the other characters because once I got Cress I could kind of see okay that's the that's the kind of style we're going for let's do that with the other characters and I think it was Cress and then I think it was um uh, Agatha Cabbage that I, I drew next and she just kind of came fully formed uh, from what I remember I remember the hand gestures gestures being very important. And I think that's from kind of Blanche in Golden Girls. Well, you know, a hand on her hip and kind of, you know, this, um, the way she's sort of holding the sort of, the, um, oh, what's it called? The smoking, um, I want to say smoking stick, but that's not right. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you're talking about, yeah. but I don't have the right word for you either. No, I don't have it. It does have its own name, doesn't it? But yeah, it does. The smoking handle, I, I guess we can call it. That came very much fully formed. I kind of knew exactly how that should, as I say, once I got the kind of style down, Agatha Cabbage came very, very fully formed. And I, I kind of think uh, Titus the Owl came quite fully formed because I just could see what kind of mannerisms these can these should have and to be honest most of that comes from from Gregory's um beautiful texts you know there's so much in those sort of phrases that those characters use and you can just kind of if, you know if you read them and you kind of close your eyes you can kind of see uh the kind of characters and the kind of mannerisms that those characters are using and it's it's all there in the text really What would you say it is about creating books for children that keeps you going? Like what what guides you and drives you in in creating books for children? I mean, finding the motivation, it, it, it can be a number of things. I mean, sometimes I'm just like, why am I moaning about the fact that I can't draw this giant the way I want to draw it? Or, you know, I can't draw this owl the way I want to draw it. You know, what an amazing problem to be having. <laughs> um, you know, this is this is a, a job that I've, you know, been wanting to do for uh, most of my life. And now I'm able to do it every single day and get, and you know, get paid for it and stuff. Um, I sometimes have to check myself and just sort of step back and think, oh my goodness, I'm getting frustrated about the fact that I can't draw a rabbit completely correctly at the moment. You know, what I would have given five or ten or maybe not five but you know ten years ago what I would have given to have that problem <laughs> right um so there's that always kind of in the back of my mind. but I just also think you know particularly drawing and writing for children there's just such a there's just such a great feeling to to be doing that you know such a, it's such an honor to be doing that you know childhood is a 
it's a it's a very unusual time for most people. There's a lot going on. There's you know it's scary. It's 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 lovely. It's fun. It's sad. It's boring. It's you know it's 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 a confusing but obviously hopefully very thrilling time. And just to have a book that is a small part of someone's childhood. You know to you know I love getting letters from children who have read my books and you know it's always a an amazing thing to say you know your book was uh, one of my favorite is, is one of my favorite books or you know I love your book and, you know to have that honor of being a tiny tiny part of someone's childhood you know I, I hope I never I hope I'm always humble by that I hope I'm always sort of like you know can kind of take that for the amazing thing that it is so so you know that I always kind of think about that sort of stuff when I when I'm getting frustrated or when I'm kind of you know lacking motivation uh knowing that you know, if you push through that and by the end of this process, you're going to have created a book that someone hopefully will find and love. And and it's particularly a book like like this one, Crest, Watercrest, where, you know, it could really actually make a difference to someone reading this book when they kind of identify with with Cress and some of the things she's going through. Yeah, that that sort of stuff gives me motivation, really. That's beautiful. Yeah, so I have a I have a call-in question that I feel like I need to slut in right now since you're kind of talking about what an honor it is to like have this as your career. So I'm just gonna line oh, it great. up and, and hit Hi, Bianca and David. This is Melissa Taylor of the Imagination Soup blog. David, how did you get into children's book illustration? My daughter is an artist and particularly curious to learn more about your journey, just so it can inform hers as she figures out what she wants to be when she grows up. Thank you. That is a lovely question. Thank you very much, Melissa Taylor. Um, I will try my best to answer it. When I think back to how this all started, I, I can see how lucky I am you know that it's actually happening at all but yeah I mean I I was I was I was it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I actually became a professional book illustrator it's always been something that I wanted to do but like I and you know I went to art school and I did I did graphic design art school and I was interested in illustration and um and uh, you know it's something I've always been interested in you know, since I was very young, I've been drawing. But it wasn't until I was actually quite old that I thought, oh, actually, maybe I could actually do this and make a career out of this. You know, I'd always drawn stories and drawn comics for my brother and sister. And, you know, when I had my uh, first son, you know, I'd draw little stories for him and stuff. But yeah, it wasn't until I was, you know, well, not old, but, you know, probably older than most uh, people that know they want to become professional illustrators. And it was luck because I, I mean, I was, I was working as well. I was a, I was a full-time art tutor at my local college here in Bedford, so at Bedford College. And I blooming loved that job. I absolutely loved being in that environment, being around students and helping them kind of with their own artwork. But that was more focused on graphic design and then a bit of fine art and a bit of everything, really. And yeah, as I say, it, was, it wasn't until we had our first son and, you know, me and my wife were saving for our, our first house and all these grown-up things were happening that I decided to jack that dog in um, and I handed in my notice and I was like, no, I'm going to try and become a professional illustrator, which, you know... That I do not advise, um, <laughs> purely because, uh, you know, my, it was a scary, probably at the time, very irresponsible thing to do. But I just knew that um, I, at the time, it felt like it was more risky not to do it because I could feel myself kind of getting very bitter and twisted that I wasn't being an, I wasn't an illustrator and I didn't want to grow up to be this bitter and twisted dad to my son and just be miserable so I, I gave I gave myself a year and you know well 
I say I gave myself a year. My, my wife gave me a year <laughs> and she said, yes, let's see how this goes. If nothing happens after a year, then we might have to rethink and maybe go back to your tutor job, which, you know, was absolutely fine. And yeah, and I mean, you know, the first few months, when was this? This was 2014, I think. Um, so not uh, not too long ago, although, you know, fa- fairly, fairly few years ago. 2014 and, you know, uh, it was January the 1st that was officially my first day as a freelance illustrator and, and you know not much was happening you know I was I was coming up with these projects sort of self-starting projects I, I was doing a few kind of editorial illustrations um here and there um but nothing too concrete and I was I, I you know by April I was kind of panicking April of that year I was kind of panicking that you know not much was happening. one bit of advice I would say if you do do that when it's ridiculous thing to do make sure you save some money beforehand so we'd kind of I'd kind of save some money so that my family you know wouldn't starve and whatnot but that was starting to run out and then thankfully I put a piece of work and this is where the luck comes in I put a piece of work that I was working on at the time on Twitter and you know it was of uh, it was an illustration of New York City with this giant hiding in the buildings and it was kind of a prep piece for a book called Grandad's Secret Giant that I was developing on, on by myself you know, as a sort of self-starter project. So I put it on Twitter and it got shared around and it got seen by lots of people. And one of the people that it got seen by and shared by was a lady called Anne Moore Armstrong, who is an an, uh, illustration agent for Bright Illustration, which is a fantastic illustration agency. And, And from that stroke of luck that she happened to see on Twitter that night, you know, we got chatting and then I went for a meeting with Bright and they signed me up to Bright. And then that was really the starting point for this, you know, incredible career that I find myself in now. So I guess advice is, you know, is share your work as much as possible you know as artists it can be quite scary to share our work um, especially online when all these terrible things happen where your work can be stolen and it can be used for other purposes but uh, you kind of weigh the risks up at that point in your career uh, and obviously you can watermark your your work as well um, so share your work but also approach agencies you know agents illustration agent are fantastic um, you know a lot of people don't like agents because they, they take a bit of your money but the jobs that are well, speaking from experience the jobs that they get you do generally become the higher paid jobs and jobs that you probably wouldn't get on your own or, or not everyone would get on their own um so yeah that, that an agency should be your first point of call so um melissa maybe that is my main bit of advice and it's probably not the most exciting bit of advice and but from a practical point of view it's like approach agencies and approach illustration agents because again speaking from experience I had no links to the publishing world at all you know I I, I'd never spoken to a, a book editor I'd never spoken to anyone in publishing really and Bright very much opened those doors that wouldn't have been open for me if I'd approached the publisher first and you know tried to get the meeting myself and you know the first ever meeting I had with an editor in publishing was a lady called Katie Cotton which Bright set up for me like a couple of weeks after signing for them and yeah Katie Cotton is another important person in my life because she was she signed me up to make The Bear and the Piano which um, is you know another great stepping stone in, in in my career but that all comes from being signed up to a, a fantastic illustration agency. That's fantastic advice. Dave. That was a bit of my life story. I there. love it though. I love it. That's what we that's what we want to know. I feel like ultimately what you're saying is trust your gut. Listen to yourself and if you really 
have this drive and passion that's eating away at you, that you are going to become twist a twisted soul. If you don't follow yeah. it, then you have to follow it. And yeah. then, and then ultimately don't be afraid to put yourself out there. You have to do the work and you have to put yourself out there so yeah. that you can be discovered. Right. Totally. I mean, it was, it was a very much a leap of faith kind of leaving my regular kind of, well, you know, regularly paid job, but it was a, and it was a risk, but it was kind of like a, a, a risk that felt worth taking at that point. I was getting good feedback from a lot of people and, you know, I was starting to get clients and stuff, but um, yeah. So it's kind of a, a um, it is a risk. It's a scary thing to do. But like I said, it felt a bit more scary not to do it at that point because um, I, I, I didn't want to be someone who would look back and think, oh, if only I if only I had tried it. Yeah, um, that, that's you know, when you know you have to do it, right? Yeah. So exactly. out of everyone that you've known leading up to this point, who taught you the most about being an artist? Wow. Um, to be honest, and this is probably a cliche, but it was it was my art teacher at school, um, uh, Mr. White. And in fact, it's a bit timely, really, that you asked me that question, because uh, I recently found out he passed away. He was um, he was a huge influence, uh, uh, Mr. White. His name was Richard White. And yeah, he was my art teacher in um, in Hastingsbury Upper School in Kempston in Bed- in Bedford my 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 little hometown and he was the one that really i mean he, you know i i was quite naughty as a as a child and as a teenager and he was the one who really said to me he said look you've got a talent that hardly anyone in the entire world has you know a very small percentage of people in the world can do what you do with with your artwork and you know if you kind of knuckle down and focus on this and you know who knows where it can take you and who knows what you could do with with your art. And, you know, this is coming from, you know, at that point, it was kind of like, you know, the future for most most of us, me and my friends was, you know, maybe we'd go and work in the local Sainsbury's or something or, you know, which is, you know, there's nothing wrong with working in the local Sainsbury's. But that was kind of as ambitious as we got at that point in our lives. And he sort of showed me that you know, your talents can take you places if you really focus on them. And yeah, he was, and uh, he was also a fantastic artist and, you know, some of the techniques he showed, he he really showed me what the power of kind of, you know, using light and shade in your artwork, you know, the kind of how that can take an average kind of drawing and turn it into something really dynamic and dramatic. And so, yeah, little kind of techniques like that. And where even now when I'm stuck and when I'm kind of getting a bit of artistic block or when I'm just really struggling to draw something, a memory will come of a, of a technique that he showed me. Or And it's sometimes something really silly, like how best to draw a piece of pavement. Like, I know that sounds random, but recently I was drawing a, a, a street scene and the pavement just didn't look right. And the perspective of the pavement didn't look right. And Mr. White's advice suddenly cropped up in my head <laughs> while I was doing it. And I nailed the pavement straight away. It was, it, that's a really random thing to say and bizarre, but it's sometimes little things like that that can kind of, you know, make you realise what an influence certain people were but you know I've had a lot of great art teachers and you know when I went to university I had some fantastic art teachers there a chap called Marty St James and stuff but I think when Mr White got me at a certain point in my life you know the teenage years which are obviously hugely dramatic usually for most people but I also remember when I was 16 my 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 dad died so it was an unusual time anyway sort of those years and that was when I was making the choices of what to do 
um, you know, we over here it's called sixth form, where we, you know, we make a choice of what subjects to specialise on. And at the time, you could specialise on two or three subjects to study for the rest of your schooling. So for the last two years, and one of them was obviously going to be the thing you were the most interested in. And I chose, I chose art, obviously, and I chose English. And randomly, I chose a thing called leisure and tourism, which is where you're learning to be kind of travel agents and stuff. So that was something, it was just one of those tick boxes. You know, I knew I wanted to do art and I, you know, English was obviously something else that interests me. And uh, and Mr. Mr. White really sat me down after my dad died and he said, look, you know, he was, and you know, I just really opened up to him as to, you know, what I wanted to do in my life and what my dad dying has kind of, had kind of shown me about kind of, you know, priorities in life and, you know, how you've only got one life and you really want to sort of do the best at it. And I think at that point, I really felt that. And the only time I felt that again was at the point that my son was born. And I thought this is kind of a kick, the kick up the bum I needed again to kind of make me pursue, pursue this kind of creative career and creative lifestyle that I now find myself in the middle of. Um, So yeah, go back to your original question. (laughs) Mr. White is always the one that springs to mind. Definitely. You know, that's so beautiful. I mean, I I feel like it's sometimes a mentor comes Mm. to us at the exact time that we know it. And we don't always know it until we're able to be removed from that time and to be able to look back and reflect. Exactly. Well, it's very funny, really. So I've recently finished a book by an author called uh, Amy Bernicker. Uh, called When the Sky Glows. And it's one of my favorite books I've ever done. And it's Okay, wait, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, but like your artwork already just matches with that title when you said glows. I was like, yeah, <laughs> perfect. It's a marriage. Well, yeah, exa- exactly. Well, this this book is perfect for me. I, I really enjoyed doing it. And, I, you know, it was all it was the same technique of using textures and stuff. But it's all about the sky and it's all about the um, how the sky glows differently at different parts of the day in different countries all around the world. And I, I remember when I was making it, I was thinking about Mr. White and I was thinking, yeah, this is exactly what he's taught me to, you know, to look at the things that surround us and find beauty in it. And, you know, you know, Bedford and Kempston, where I was living when I knew Mr. White, which is just outside Bedford, it's probably not the most interesting of towns it's very small you know we've got some beautiful we've got a beautiful river and some beautiful kind of countryside surroundings but it's not the most exciting place and stuff but he would he would help me kind of look at it you know look at the places that we we were living in and find the beauty in it and look at the sky and look at the clouds and look at the sunsets and all those kind of things so I I dedicated I dedicated that book to him so there's a dedication to Mr White in that book and you know I'd lost touch with Mr White because at that point you know the late 90s early noughties you kind of you know uh you just lose touch with your teachers and he was very old school so he wasn't on Twitter and he wasn't on Facebook and he wasn't anywhere to be found online so I just I just lost touch with him but I decided to dedicate this book to him and and then yeah word got to me a couple of weeks ago that he actually passed away and I just thought wow that's incredible that I've literally just sent my dedication off to this mm. um to the publisher and it's going to be in this book in in April and I don't know it just seemed like a very strange thing that I've been thinking about Mr White uh, a lot and I've been dedicating this book and then and then yeah sadly he passed away and I always think oh I wish I'd had a chance to tell him what I was doing or maybe he knew what I was doing I don't know um, but I wanted to say you know the advice that he gave me both kind of practically as an artist but also just in terms of like you can do this if you really put your mind to it. I, I just wanted to tell him that, you know, uh, it worked out. And, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for everything he taught me, basically. Oh, 
I like I have goosebumps. <laughs> oh. oh man. All right. Well, we have talked a lot about your artwork, but I think it's important to know that you're an amazing writer and I feel like I'm going to leave it up to you if you want to tell everybody, but you are working on some writing and we know you as, as a picture book author, mm. but I think you're writing something that isn't a picture book. Am I correct? Well, or I working was, on. I'm in the very, very early stages, and I mean, it's it's, it's terrifying for me. But I'm I'm working on my first M, um, uh, middle grade novel. For the last few years, I've had it at the back of my mind. It's about wrestling. <laughs> at the moment, the working title is Hattie, the Victorian Wrestling Girl. So it's about wrestling in Victorian times, and it's about this young girl called Hattie who becomes this world famous wrestler during you know this kind of very male dominated time and in a very male dominated sport stroke sports entertainment to give it its kind of more modern day term. So yeah, I'm really excited about it. I'm 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 I, as I say, I'm at the very early stages of it. I'm mapping out the story now and kind of sketching out designs and stuff, but. I'm already having great fun because like, you know, I don't know if you're familiar of the world of wrestling, but over here when we first started to get kind of, you know, uh, snippets of American style wrestling um, with these huge larger than life characters and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, it was kind of pantomime really, but as a, as a young boy, I absolutely lapped it up for a while and I was really taken in by the kind of storylines and the characters and stuff. And I'm getting an element of that into this book, which is obviously set in Victorian times. So the characters are still going to be larger than life, but they're going to have this kind of interesting kind of, you know, uh, Victorian feel to them. So it's almost like a, a, a sort of a traveling circus kind of feel to it. And yeah, I'm absolutely loving it. But as I say, it is terrifying because it's it's very much out of my comfort zone uh, writing at that level um, for a slightly older audience. But, you know, it's a challenge that I'm I'm really looking forward to kind of um, focusing on full time. Hopefully at some point this year um, I can get the first draft uh, written down and then I guess possibly next year it, it will be possibly published. I, won't, I don't want to say definitely published. <laughs> we'll see how we get on this year. Well, um, it sounds fascinating and and, yeah. <laughs> and super fun. And you're right about those world wrestlers and their characters. I mean, I yeah. feel like, yeah, that, with that in it, it's going to be so fun. It should be. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And, you know, I'm, I'm intrigued to see the reaction it's going to get because it, it's going to be very much larger than life, kind of a little bit bonkers, really, I think. But yeah, hopefully very entertaining. I love it. Well, a question I always love to know with book creators when they first became a reader, and you have a kind of a fun story about riding the tube in, in London and your discovery that actually reading books is pretty cool. Do you want to share it real quick? So when I went to, I mean, I, you know, I'd always been a reader, but I don't know. I don't know whether it's something to do with the town I grew up in, but I was always a little bit scared to sort of show my love of reading and my love of books and comic books, but also, you know, novels and stuff. I, I would I would lap them up. But I think it is because I because I was such a comic kind of nerd <laughs> when I was younger. And, you know, 
we become easy targets sometimes for bullies and things if you're carrying a, a, a comic under your arm around school or around the park or whatever. So I kind of got into this habit of just sort of hiding it away and hiding it in my rucksack. And then I went, then I moved to London for university, to Camberwell College of Art, which is in South London. And, you know, it was a whole new world open up and I kind of, you know, had this whole new identity that I didn't have to hide my kind of, you know, my loves and stuff. But in particular, there was this one moment where I remember getting on the tube, so the underground train, and this like incredibly cool woman got on the tube next and sat, you know, sat opposite me. And I don't know whether she was a model or in a band or something, but she just looked incredibly cool, like with these cool glass, you know, dark shades on and stuff and she was reading um uh easy riders raging bull peter biskin i think is the author this big chunky book about kind of you know films from the 70s and it had this really cool kind of cover that you know was a bit kind of andy warhol inspired you know kind of screen printing and stuff and the whole kind of thing just looked cool the 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 woman looked cool and the book looked cool and she was reading it so proudly on the tube and i just thought what have i been doing for the past you know decade or so hiding my books away i need to be out and proud as this reader of books yeah that was that was a big moment of like and then every time i would go out i would not I would take my book out of my rucksack and I just hold it. And I kind of felt a bit armed with my book, especially like a big book, like Easy Riders, Raging Ball, which I absolutely went straight out and bought after I saw this cool person uh, holding it. You know, you feel like you're armed with this book. <laughs> that's so fun. Like I, I guarantee you, everybody that's listening to this podcast right now is pot book nerd. And so I love what you just said, like out oh, and proud people out and proud, yes. grab your Absolutely. books, yeah, Absolutely. read them. We're the coolest. We're yeah. the coolest kind of people. Absolutely. All right, David, before we go, yeah. will you finish the sentence for me? When kids and families read Cress Watercress, I hope. I hope that they have a fantastic time. I hope that they are entertained. I hope that they feel a number of different emotions. The main one being, you know, I want them to feel happy um, because it is a very happy book. But, you know, I also want them to feel the the true emotions that are in that story. It's it's um, it's a roller coaster. It's a cliche what I'm saying now, but it's a roller coaster of emotions that just from reading it and then drawing it, I went from every single emotion I think I've ever had. <laughs> you know, I was I was laughing. I was crying. I was sad. I was happy. I was empowered. I identified with Cress. I identified with Mo- I identified with Mama, uh, her mum. I want them to be entertained, but I also want them to be, you know, to see themselves in these animal characters. There's a lot of human traits in these wonderful animal characters that uh, Gregory has created. I hope they feel all that. I'm so glad just that you said mama because I felt seen by the mama character. I felt seen <laughs> by her. And so, yes, I think this is a book that all kids are going to enjoy. But yeah. let's just say, importantly, that the grown-ups who choose to read along with their kids or read aloud to their kids are going to love this book yes. just as much. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking with me today, David. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, it's been really, really fun. Thank you very much, Bianca. Thank you so much for joining us on this quest for growing readers. Be sure to check out our show notes. You'll find links to order a copy of Crest Watercress. To see which author or illustrator guests we have coming up and how you can be on our podcast and have your questions answered by authors and illustrators, visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com forward slash 
the Growing Readers Podcast. If you like this show, remember you can hear it on Apple Podcasts, Chromecasts, or anywhere else you like to listen. Subscribe to the show to get new episodes as soon as they launch. If you're enjoying our book chats, please leave us a review. And while you're at it, tell a friend to come and have a listen. The Growing Readers Podcast is a production of the Children's Book Review. To discover more fantastic books for kids, just like Gregory Maguire and David Litchfield's Crest Watercress, I hope you'll visit us at thechildrensbookreview.com.